0: Hi do everybody, my name is Patrick McKenzie and I might be better known as Patio11 on the Internet. I'm a small software entrepreneur who over the last couple of years has run a consulting business largely focused on making software uh, companies more money by delighting their users. Uh, I've invited my friend Ramit Sethi here today to talk to us a little bit about how you might be able to supercharge your freelancing and or consulting business and Ramit's going to do a bit of a self intro now.
1: Thanks for having me, Patrick. Uh, my name is Ramit Sethi. Uh, I run a site called IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com, and it's a very modestly titled site, and I have a New York Times bestseller by the same name. Uh, My background is in psychology and persuasion, and I help people use psychology to change their behavior and change other people's behavior, whether it's with money or with their careers or learning how to negotiate. And the way that I run my business is actually through information products. So about 98% of my stuff is free and then occasionally I will release a course. Usually these courses take me a couple of years to develop and um, they tend to be pretty premium prices. And you know if people join them, great. And they might use them to earn more money or find a new job or find their first profitable idea. And so Patrick and I became friends, uh, especially talking about marketing and pricing and just shaking our heads at some of the stuff we see on the internet. And so hopefully we can share some of our stories from behind the scenes that we haven't revealed before, uh, which might help you know, help you raise your rates, get more business and get better clients.
2: Yeah.
0: and
1: All this sounds very good. So um, I think some people might feel
0: a bit of disconnect in getting advice from this because for some reason, and this surprises me more than anybody, I seem to have fallen into that quote unquote, internet famous thing where people think that
1: I'm some untouchable celebrity, which absolutely not the case. And You are a celebrity to me, Patrick. I had to go through 10 assistants just to get this time with you on the phone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All of your assistants. Uh, um, you're a New York Times bestselling author, but honestly, the techniques we're going, to be, we're going to talk about worked for us when we were much earlier in our careers. They kind of helped get our careers to the point where they're at right now, and they're generally applicable even to people who you know, might not have an audience or uh, any sort of asset built up yet, although no
1: time like the present to start building. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think one of the biggest psychological barriers people see is they see advice from people whether it be here or on Mixergy or any other place, and they say, oh, well, that might work for him because he has an email list of 100,000 people or whatever it may be. But really, these techniques can be applied, maybe in a smaller setting. If I say, and I'll tell you how I collect 100,000 data points for one of my courses, you don't need that. You can start with 20, and it's frankly very effective, and then at a certain point, you'll be able to get 50 or 500 or 5,000. So, Patrick, what do you say we start off by actually addressing that main thing, which says... You know, hey, sounds great, Patrick. But I'm not an internet celebrity like you. How do I get my first customer? What would you tell them? So
0: before anyone on the internet knew who I was, before I even started commenting on the the forum that I was on before the forum, before the hacker news that I gained a lot of my audience through, and way before I had a blog, I worked at a uh, technology incubator in central Japan, which. I'm in Gifu Prefecture, and I love Gifu Prefecture, but Gifu Prefecture's contribution to the world is a particular type of bird that you put the bird on a leash, you take the bird to the river, you get the bird to fish for you from the river, and then you make the bird regurgitate the fish. This is not exactly like High Tech Central, and I got my first job in software because I was working at a tech incubator here, and um, somebody needed 3,000 PowerPoint slides translated about CAD software. which. If you're not familiar with CAD software and PowerPoint slides and technical translation, it's the most boring job ever. But I did, you know, good work on it. Always, there's no reason to work on stuff if you're not going to do a good job in it, right? So when I, when my contract expired for that day job, and I was looking for the next, uh, the next thing for me, I went to the guy who I had kind of over delivered on the 3,000 point a 3,000 slide PowerPoint presentation and said, hey, you know, I find myself needing a job in the next couple of uh, months. And I know you might not be hiring right now, but you know a lot more people in this neck of the woods than I do. If you know anyone who needs a programmer or needs a technical translator, would you mind uh, introducing me to them?
1: And what happened then?
0: So he took me to a meeting with two of his clients. And uh, the meeting was it was explained to me that the, that the meeting was sort of like a job interview, and it took me years to figure out what actually happened, but basically, behind the scenes, he went immediately to, to two of his clients and said, look, I have an American, he's a uh, engineer, he's done great work for me, he's got this uh, list of successes behind him and his old company, you're gonna hire him as a favor to me. And so we went to this quote-unquote job interview, and I thought, you know, I was doing the whole interview dance, and wondering why they were not Asking many questions for me or for anything, and we get to the end of it. I'm like, "Do I?" I'm kind of a little uncertain of where we are in the in the conversation right now. And they're like, "Oh, you were hired before you walked in the room. Um, you know, <laughs> we're just uh, we're just getting to know you right now." Like, wow. Yeah. Um, and when I tell that story to Americans, people will say that, "Wow, you know, all those Japanese people—they're so weird and wacky." But <laughs> honestly, man. The the truth of the world is that that is how a lot of jobs are allocated in America, too. It's not based on the whole resume dance and the, did you meet the 16 bullet points we put in our advertisement, send in a resume, maybe if we like you, we're going to interview you. There are lots of jobs passed along on the private communication level where you're scratching somebody else's back that's done something for you. So definitely, if you're just starting to get into the business, whether you're looking for a job or you're looking for a freelancer contract sort of situation, find the people who have some reason to respect you, to feel a little bit of um, uh, a social obligation towards you and just ask them, hey, can you help me out on this?
1: I love that because I love the part about all oh, those crazy Japanese people uh, because we always hear these great stories and then the first thing we naturally psychologically do is create an us versus them. We mm-hmm. say, oh, that could work, but XYZ and I call that the special snowflake syndrome like, oh, that could work, but I work at a non or but i work in kansas i mean you worked in the most remote place i can imagine and it worked for you one of the things one of the reasons i was so excited to talk to you was i want to expose what happens at high levels of business to everybody and i want to open that veil And you know it's funny because the way for example the way that jobs are gotten is very similar to the way you get clients and there's something i always teach my students which is eighty-five percent of the work is done before you ever sit down in the room absolutely And. That applies to a negotiation, that applies to getting clients, that applies to getting a job. Many of my students who go through my career course, by the time they sit down for an interview, it's not an interview, it's a discussion. And by the way, it's a discussion with someone they've already been out to coffee with two or three times. Think about the caliber of that discussion or the contours. They're completely different than you sort of genuflecting and saying, please give me a job, please. Instead it's like, the job is assumed. Now let's discuss the details. Mm So let's let's actually talk about that in terms of clients, Patrick. You know, you've you've done a lot of client work. I've done some client work as well, and I've taught a lot of people how to get clients. When it comes to getting your first one, two, or three clients, what are some important things to know, and what are some common mistakes that people make? So the most
0: common mistake I see when I'm talking to other engineers, in particular, is that people radically undercharge for the first client, um, for the first couple of clients, uh, often from a perceived desire to, you know, oh, I need to make my bones before I can. Uh, <laughs> and before I can start charging what I'm worth. So, you know, I'll do this for you for really cheap, 10 bucks an hour or whatever. And um, being kind of overly needy at getting that first client. I did that too. I undervalued myself in the first couple of engagements. We're gonna talk about pricing in general later, but you don't want to ever come off as needy, both because it's going to, well, obviously it will hurt your financial situation in a very direct manner. And it will also compromise your client relationship in that when people get something for $10, they assume it's worth about what other things that cost $10 are worth. And $10 is not a meaningful amount of money to any business. So, you know, if you're charging like Starbucks latte money for your consulting offering, you're never going to get, say, buy in at the CEO level of a software company to get your initiatives adopted. You're going to be like, oh, that's somebody's kid's nephew's brother or whoever who we're having make copies or whatnot. And we didn't get into, you know, if you wanted to make copies, you can get a low skilled job anywhere for. Uh, to to do that, but we got into this to be respected for our advice and to be valued, and to actually do stuff that matters. And charging ten bucks an hour is not on the easy straight path to doing stuff that matters. People that do
1: stuff that matters come in, you know, their ground floor is higher, and then they go up from there. Yes, I want to emphasize a couple of things you mentioned. One, if you're charging five, ten, twenty bucks an hour. It's very, very difficult to go from that to charging 200 300 an hour, or 10000 a week. It's very difficult to make that transition. If you do it when you come in, that can happen. But going from one level to another is extremely difficult. And I happen to know that because on a product side, the first product I ever sold, the information product was a $4.95 eBook. One of the last products I sold was a $12,000 course. I've gone the entire gamut of information products. And when we talk about pricing, I'll go into more detail on that, but suffice it to say it's extremely difficult to climb that ladder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The other thing you know you mentioned is how many people go in saying, oh, I'll just do this first and I need to make my bones. And you know what? There is a time and a place to do free work. I do believe in free work occasionally, but I always tell people if you're gonna do free work, make sure you are clear about your messaging. So for example, let's say that it was my first time out there getting my first client. And let's say I just want to build a portfolio. So at least I have something to point at. Now, I'm generally not a fan of free work, but I can be strategically. And this is what I would say to the client. I would say, look, my normal consulting rate is $85 an hour or whatever format of pricing you're using. However, I really like what you're doing. And frankly, I want to build up my portfolio. I would be willing to do this for three weeks for free if in exchange you agree that if I do an extraordinary job, then we can discuss working at my normal rate. Well, who's going to say no to that? If you do an extraordinary job, everyone's going to want to pay you, okay? But in this case, yes, you are working for free, but you are explaining why. And that is so important. It separates you from the, frankly, the kind of people who are new. They're new, and you can tell that they're asking to be taken advantage of Mm -hmm. because they're like, okay, I'll work for free. It'll be fine. Somehow I'll go from free to $500 an hour. doesn't work. Explain your messaging. Explain your positioning, and people will respect you way more for it. I got to be totally honest with you, I don't think I would ever work for free as a developer
0: just because of the way the market is laid out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't need to. But hypothetically, if you're going in for free, not only would you have the, you know, pontity end of the rainbow being working at your full rate, but you might make as a condition of working for free, we're going to discuss this publicly because it gets you, you know, a public case study that you can use for your for your portfolio and the social proof that I have done this sort of meaningful work for another company in the industry. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that publicity being a benefit from you, that the sort of public-private distinction there makes a very natural thing to charge around. So for example, I do, like you said, you know, 98% of your stuff is free. I do a whole heck of a lot of stuff for free. I'll speak at conferences for free. My blog posts are free. Most of my individual, uh, I do uh, open source software, which is free. But if someone wants something that is so competitively sensitive that they don't want me talking about it to,
1: you know, however many people I can get to listen to me, then that always has a price tag attached to it. That's right. That's right. Okay. I want to talk about one of the secret sauces of my business. And it's something that actually nobody really cares about. People think they care about it, but they don't care about it. And it is the research that I do going into building a product or getting a client. And I know you've done this as well. Um, so it's funny, the other day I was asking people, hey, if I speak at South by Southwest, what would be a good talk? And somebody wrote back on Twitter saying, oh, you should talk about your research methodology. And I said, that would be great for the three people who would attend. Yeah. Like, yes, it actually is what allows me to charge a hundred times what my competition charges, but nobody cares. They don't want to see how the sausage is made. They just want to see the shiny tactic and, oh, Ramit, tell me about your AB test where you tested the color of this button. Okay, so, so let's actually talk for a few minutes about customer development and research going into a product. I'll talk about on the product side, and I know you've done quite a bit of work on the client side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so for me, when I build information products, they can be anything from an ebook all the way up to a full-featured eight-week course with, with gigabytes and gigabytes of video and you know, thousands of pages of material. So when I start off, for example, with my course on earning more, I have a course called Earn 1K – and it's about how to take your skills and turn them into freelancing income by getting multiple clients and earning 1K and many of my successful students earn 5K or 10K a month on the side. So very relevant to the people listening here. When I started off doing this research, I actually didn't even think of doing an earn money product but when I went on book tour, I went to all these cities around the country and I asked people, hey, what do you wish I wrote more about? And almost to a person they said, you know, I love your stuff on automation but I really wanna know how to earn more money. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, really? Isn't that kind of scammy? And they were like, I don't care. I just want to know how to make more money. And so I started doing research and I pulled my team together. And the first thing we did was basically just what we call cloud research. We wanted to understand the dynamics of the market. So there's about five or six ways to earn money. You can negotiate your salary. You can get passive income, which for most people never works. Uh, you can get freelance income. You can blah, 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 blah. So we looked at it and we're like, oh, okay, we think we're really good at freelancing, and we think that the market is particularly bad at that. And so we started asking people survey questions. Now, you can, sur- you can get good survey data with as few as 20 responses.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And for all the engineers listening, listen closely. Statistical significance is irrelevant. When you're doing customer research, I don't give a damn about P values and anything like that. It's almost all qualitative. That's what I care about. I wanna hear the words they use. Mm -hmm. So we started off by saying, we didn't say, here's a key insight as well. When you're doing customer research, I've seen a lot of early surveys. They'll say something like this. They'll ask a fake question. They'll say, Ramit, if I told you I could solve all your storage needs in five hours for less than 25 pico dollars, would that interest you? Look, guys, that's BS. That is the worst type of marketing because you're not—you don't really want the answer. You're trying to sell them. Instead, we ask them real questions, like, you know, tell me about your biggest frustration. Tell me what you've done in the last six months to improve your financial situation. Um, Have you ever thought about earning money? If so, how have you thought about it? Have you ever tried it? What happened? And we start to understand the words that they used, and we collected approximately. 50,000 data points through everything from chat, email, surveys, one-on-ones, phone calls. Now you don't have to do 50,000. Okay, Honestly, 100 gets you farther than most people do. And What happens is most people will retreat into a room for six months, they'll build their product or their service and realize that they got it completely wrong. Just to give you a sense, Patrick, for us, earn 1K on the side. It took us six months to figure that out. Earn 1K. Why not earn 10K? because most people don't believe that they can earn 10k even if they can. Mm-hmm. And on the side because most people believe that they have to earn more money, it's they have to quit their job and start to net Google with venture capital. That's not true. So the research is really what allows you to distinguish yourself from your competition and to be able, so that when someone comes to your site they start nodding their head uncontrollably and they say yes and price becomes a mere triviality. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you've had that experience. Absolutely. Um,
0: so one of is- I told you how I got a particular job in the past, but I didn't talk about my first consulting client yet. I used to be active on a forum for uh, lots of SEOs, search engine optimizers, who often they have a side business themselves or their main source of income is publishing a particular thing and then getting traffic to it via SEO. Many of them are less than technical or they have enough skills to, like, hack together a site in WordPress, but they don't know how to take that to the next level. And the natural engineer thing to do in this circumstance is to ask someone, okay, what are your technical problems? Uh, Oh, you have problems with WordPress sites? I've done WordPress sites before. Let's talk WordPress, WordPress, WordPress. No SEO wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, damn, I have a WordPress problem. They wake up in the morning and say, "Oh damn, I have a business problem. You know, my business only made however many thousand dollars uh, last month, and if it had, if I could get uh, more pages on the website, then I might have more traffic and be able to drive more revenue for it. But I don't see a clear way to doing it, uh, to doing that without me doing all the writing myself." Mm-hmm. And after you can talk to them and establish, you know, that rapport that you are actually listening to the problem to the problems that they are talking about, you can suggest. How to address those problems in ways that you are uniquely capable of doing. So, for example, if I tell a SEO who's a potential client, okay, I totally hear you. You've gotten this level of traffic so far with your existing site. You want to 2x that over the course of the next year. You were saying that the roadblocks that are stopping you are you're on an outdated architecture where you personally have to write everything and it's been impossible for you to find someone who is a subject matter expert at this, who can also make web pages because that combination of interest just does not exist. Yes. I'm believe- nodding my head right now. i right. like, yes. Yeah. I totally understand that it is impossible to find someone who is both good enough of a journalist in this space to work for a, a genuine published magazine and also can edit HTML pages. Okay. I have an idea for you. I'm going to make a CMS for your website. That's just a page that they can go into like WordPress and they can do their writing like they do so well. And then it ships it over to you and you figure out you know, which, um, like which business model that you experienced so far works best with that content. You click two buttons to hook it up to that page and boom, that's it. It's live on the internet and Google starts sending people to it. Does that sound like uh, it's something motivational to you? And by this point, the SEO is going, oh hells yes. I'm like, yeah. great. Now, this project, I think I can deliver the minimum version of it in two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, you get the CMS. You can start having your magazine-quality writers putting stuff in which will look beautiful, have pictures on it, and start gener- generating traffic on Google. And by that point, you know everything else about the engagement is a detail. They
1: want it. That's right. They want it. That is the number one thing. Do they want it? not mm-hmm. what does your website look like not how big is your button not how optimized did you get your conversion funnel most of us could focus more on building something that people want mm-hmm. and that comes with the early research i love i love the way you talked about how you communicate with the client because it shows you really listen i, I want to emphasize something especially for the engineers listening to the call i am a client that i work with engineers i have engineers on staff and i pay them pretty well i have passed on hiring engineers who may be more technically proficient, but they didn't understand what I wanted. Honestly, guys, as a business owner, do you think I care if you're using this technology or that? I just don't give a damn. I really don't. What I care about is, is my business going to generate revenue? Am I serving my customers? Is my website going to go down and I have to be the one who tells you? So if, Or can I go out on a Friday night and not worry about my business? Those are the things I care about as a client. And I'm reminded of a great story that um, somebody, uh, one entrepreneur told on a Mixergy interview with Andrew Warner. And this is a great story. So he was in the relationship market. His buddy actually started uh, an information product in the, in the relationship space for women. And the guy was doing very well. I believe he was making either 40K or 400K a month. So he was doing very well. And this guy got pretty interested and he said, Hey, I got to take a look at this market. He spent about four or five months really doing deep research. Lots of stuff, including AdWords, including customer research, including buying all the other products. And he finally built his own product. And within two or three months, it was making more than his friends. And it never stopped. And I happen to know that that business is now a gigantic business. Why? What separated him from his friends? His friend kind of called him frustrated, like, hey, I don't understand why your site's making more than mine. He said that he had found some very subtle things in the research that his friend had not. And I will tell you that we had that same exact thing happen. When I built my Find Your Dream Job course, it took us about three or four months to build the first version, and we're pretty experienced at this. When we went out to test it with about 20 people, the first person failed, the second person started crying, and and at first I was like, oh, they're just dumb, they don't know what they're doing. No, then five people failed, then 10. It took us about, I believe it was 15 or 16 versions to get it right. And when we looked back, we had skipped over some very subtle things in the research process. Once we got those right, sales skyrocketed. So I'll just say that it's very, very important to understand the words that your client or your customer is using and be able to explain how and why you can help them. I think that the exact words that people use are, we don't pay nearly
0: enough attention to them. Maybe we would if we came from a communications background, because honestly, Nothing motivates people like having their own words repeated right back to them, which is something that yeah. you should try to do more often. And it's just an easy conversational hack to sound more persuasive, um, but you know you have to make the uh, your prospective client feel like you understand where they're coming from, and that starts with both a understanding where they're coming from and then communicating like you understand where they're yeah. coming from. So you know. Even if you're building a website for someone, it's not just a website, right? There is some particular need that they have for that website, whether it's uh, you know for their business purposes or because a lot of business owners are very personally invested in their business. You need to communicate to them that you understand that they're personally invested and that you are also capable of treating this website like it's important, like it's more than just bits on a server somewhere. So um, here's a hypothetical example for you. I live in Japan. I Happen to have uh, lots of Asian friends, so I just know I know that there is one particular like niche market in America that if I really wanted to stop my business right now and start a totally new market, I could do it there. So a lot of people who might not be English's first language themselves have a worry that they are going to have children who are do not learn how to speak their native language, and as a result, will never be able to communicate with their grandmothers. And so there's this market in America for like for schools to teach. The heritage children their language of their parents basically and if you're building websites for that kind of schools you're not really building websites so much as you are selling the person who runs that school who is very very attentive to the emotional needs of someone generally a mother by the way very very attentive to the emotional needs of her mother that rather than focusing on the technical aspects, okay, it's going to have uh, pages and an admin system and, a, and a this and a that, you're like, okay, I understand the business purpose here is that your business is primarily dominated by how many new students it can enroll. And I understand that people enroll students in your school because they feel that there is a connection to a trustworthy source of authentic information about their heritage. And because I do lots of work in this space, I can deliver a website that embodies that for you. And if you can present that pitch, you will be 10,000 times better than anybody who might be better at, you know, better at technical infrastructure, better at the design, whatever, if you can empathize with them on the, where they're coming from, you'll be better yeah. off. Yeah. Um, same way. Here's a so you were asking earlier about some problems people had in their first couple of clients. So I was a little too over-eager for work, and I worked with people whose businesses I understood on an intellectual level but did not understand in, like, the feel-it-in-my-bones level. And I've since gotten a bit more choosy about that. Like, almost all my customers these days run software businesses. But at one point, I worked with a commerce company, which was also a startup, so I thought close enough, e-commerce company in the men's fashion space. Let's say they sell dress shirts. And uh, Ramit, you're a pretty nice dress guy, but I'm wearing a T-shirt right now with a startup logo on it. When someone says, okay, you need a fine cut silk black shirt, my eyes just glaze over. And when we were talking about even, you know, things that I totally know, like, okay, let's talk about the architecture for the website. I'm like, all right, you're going to silo some pages around that, like fine silk shirt, blah, blah, or blah, blah, or blah, blah. And you could see my client like actively going like, this is my life's work that you're describing as the blah, blah. And I was kicking myself. So one thing that I did to get better in terms of that particular client relationship, when I realized that I really didn't know anything that I was talking about, even when it was material to his business, was to say, uh, look, you know me, I'm not going to lie. I'm not exactly a fine dresser. Can you just tell me what's the first thing that a geek who's not really a fine dresser would need to know in terms of like men's, men's fine shirt? If I only learned like 10 minutes of stuff in my entire life, can you tell me that? And bam, you know, eyes light up. You know, his life's work is men's shirts, right? Do you think he likes talking about men's shirts? Oh, hell yes. He loves to share that knowledge to people. And if I was
1: savvier about it, I would have asked for that at the initial interview. It's it's amazing how powerful it is when you actually put yourself inside the mind of your prospect. And I want to talk about this for a few minutes. You see very similar copy on most startup websites, similarly terrible. (laughs) Here's what it says. It says easy Fast, free. Those three words should never, ever, ever be the headlines or subheadlines on your page. Do you know why? They don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Easy, what does that mean? When you say easy to me, to me that means, oh, I don't have to check my text messages on a Thursday night when I'm out with my friends at a bar. To a 45-year-old mother of two, it means something very different. I don't have to learn this weird HTML syntax with these brackets, okay? Easy is not a descriptive word. It's a word that engineers use or even amateur copywriters because they don't have anything else to say. Why? Because they've been lazy. They haven't actually figured out the words that people use. People don't say, I was really looking for an easy, fast, and free solution. They say, I was looking for a way to earn more money, and I was sick of getting scammed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that's why if you go to one of my pages, you'll see the fact that I was on the Today Show or the fact that I've written for the New York Times. That's not just there to feed my very large ego. It's there because the customer indicated that it was important to them. And I'll give you another story uh, about communicating with your clients. One of my star students is a young woman named Jackie, and she lives in the Midwest, and she's a violin instructor. Now, she's quite good at violin, but that wasn't really what interested me. The fact was she kind of had clients, but she didn't. She came to me saying, like, I want to learn how to grow my business. And so she had a few clients, but it was kind of just like middling and it wasn't doing very well. I said, who's your client? Who's your client? And this is where most people stop dead. They say, oh, you know, people who are looking for storage solutions. Oh really what type of person what gender what age Uh, other people will say I'm building a product on love or really who's your customer oh you know women between the ages of 27 to 54 Mm -hmm. a 27 year old woman has nothing in common with a 54 year old woman when it comes to love clothes or virtually anything else the way they describe love is completely different so her customers were kids parents moms dads everybody I said no 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 so I worked with her and This is what happened. I'll cut to the chase. In eight weeks, she was able to generate $81,000. How did she do that? She quickly found out who her customer was. Any idea who the customer was, Patrick?
0: Okay. I've read this story from you before, so I have a kind of good idea, but want to spoil it for the rest of the
1: people? Okay. The customer was not the 10-year-old kid. It was the mother Mm -hmm. of the 10-year-old kid. And by the way, that mother tended to be ethnic, tended to be Asian. Not a surprise when you think about it, but quite difficult up front. Now, by the way, what does this Asian mother want? She doesn't really just want her kid to play like Yo-Yo Ma. Why does she want that? Because she wants little Timmy to get into Harvard. Mm -hmm. And so when you deeply understand that, then everything about your positioning, your marketing can change. For example, imagine a new testimonial which says, my son used to be really shy and withdrawn. Now, after going to Jackie's class, he's so talkative, he's made so many friends, and I can already see his grades going up because of the new discipline that he's learned. Wow, that speaks directly to the heart of what her clients want. By the way, it's not a lie, it's completely accurate. This is marketing at its best, where you're actually listening to the customer and then delivering value on what they want, totally ethically. So for all of us when we're writing worthless copy like easy, fast, free, stop, you're being lazy. Go out and talk to your customers and figure out their real pain points. And write, you know, you don't have to um, check your pager every Friday and Saturday night. That is a very, very powerful message. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, silk shirts that don't wrinkle when you're getting off the subway. That is very powerful to the businessman in Manhattan.
0: Mm-hmm. All right,
1: so that's, that's all I got to say about copy when it comes to relating to your customer.
0: I totally agree with that. Also, something that people don't realize is that this is particularly easy for engineers to do. They think, I am trivially capable of doing this, or I am trivially capable of using some free open source solution for doing for (laughs) that. Therefore, no one else in the world wants it. Um, People still to this day, like, so my original claim to quote unquote fame on the internet is a little program called Bingo Card Creator that makes bingo cards for elementary school teachers. And despite the fact that I've been publishing about this for six years with a constantly updated stats graph that shows like 200,000 plus dollars of bingo cards getting sold, people ask me, how could anyone possibly need that? You can do it in Microsoft Excel in like five minutes. All you need to do is know how to use Microsoft Excel like someone that has an engineering degree. <laughs> people with engineering degrees don't teach elementary English. That's just a fact of life. Like the, yeah. the reason I know that teachers really genuinely need that is because I've talked to literally thousands of teachers by this point, And I know that they have a very particular need for getting cl- ready for class tomorrow. It isn't bingo card software, they have a particular need to teach a particular lesson plan that they already have laid out about, say, the American presidents, and they want an easy to use activity that they can just slide into that. And at no point do they start thinking of, okay, I can open off, uh, open up Microsoft Excel and start scripting up some quick macros, and only two hours from now I will have something that works for my kids. Yeah, something that they can, you know, go to their local Google, say, American presidents, pause for a second and remember back to their uh, class about incorporating more fun activities in the classroom. Type in bingo, hit enter, and get something on the first
1: page that works.
0: And that's fundamentally
1: why that business works. Love it. And and what you said when you said, oh, like, I can just open up Excel with my extremely simple knowledge of macros betrays a complete lack of understanding about the customer. In fact, this is what I want – I like to talk about – Stepping out of your own comfort zone and understanding the other people, the people that you're trying to serve. Most people are not builders. Engineers understand that. Most people do not talk or think like you. They do not want to sit around and build a bunch of stuff. I'm talking about myself. I hate building stuff, except the stuff that I'm really good at, building courses and stuff like that. Do you think if you put a bunch of Legos in front of me, I'm going to pick that box up and throw it straight in the trash? I just don't care. I don't like it. I don't want to, I don't want to build a macro. I don't, I don't want to do all that stuff. And the second thing is, I have a limited amount of time. And if your customer, for example, has a family, they have extremely limited amounts of time. So for them, paying five, 10, 20, $100 is nothing Mm -hmm. because to them, They get, especially if you've segmented your customer to people who have income and are willing to spend it, as opposed to people who have no income and have unlimited time and unlimited technical skills, hint to anyone building stuff for other engineers who haven't segmented out their pricing or positioning. That's bad. So I'd like to talk about this. I was just reading something on Hacker News. There was a comment about email newsletters. And the funny comment to me was, who still uses email newsletters? And it just made me smile because yeah. it's, a, it's a classic, classic mistake we make of thinking that our world is everyone's world. Mm-hmm. Just to give you a sense, I make over 98% of my revenues through email. Mm-hmm. You, totally you, almost, yeah, you almost cannot pay me money on my site. My conversion funnels are pretty sophisticated and we've built them and tested them for many, many, many years. Email works very well. However, in this day and age when people talk about, oh, you gotta get on social, gotta get on Facebook, get a Twitter account. My suggestion for people trying to get your first three clients, mm-hmm. forget everything that will not immediately get you three clients. So if you're putting up a Twitter feed, ask yourself, how is this gonna get me clients? And then you're gonna start realizing that you're, you're giving yourself BS answers like, oh, I'm getting into the conversation. I need to be at the top of mind. Really? Is that gonna help you get three clients or is reaching out to 10 people with custom emails showing how you already understand their business and suggesting a couple things, is that going to help? Right? These are the things we talk about in Earn 1K, but you can do them anywhere. When I first started off writing copy about four or five years ago, I started studying the really somewhat dark arts of long copy pages. Mm-hmm. My sales pages are approximately 40 to 50 pages long. People say, Ramit, that doesn't work. Really? I have the data, and I know for a fact that it does work. In fact, there's a very sophisticated marketer. His emails are about 20 or 30 pages long. And people said, <laughs> like, who reads these emails? Does anyone actually read this? And he laughed and said, <laughs> only the buyers. <laughs> I love and that so line. Yeah, it's really, it's really incumbent upon you to stop thinking that your worldview is everyone's worldview and realize that marketing works for a reason. As one of my professors said in communication, she said, the value in this material is not in the difficulty of it. It's in the usefulness of it. So it's not important how hard it is what you're doing. It's important how useful it is to your customer.
0: And this ties back into how really understanding who exactly can afford to buy your product or service offering is and how important that is. For example, I've slagged on social media quite a bit and I have not slagged on it nearly enough. The person who (laughs) has the authority to buy your offering at, say, a company, which, by the way, guys, for all the engineers in the audience, you sell engineering services to for-profit companies because they are the only people who can pay actual professional engineer rates. Like there are vanishingly few private individuals and or nonprofits who will actually pay engineers the going rate. Anyhow, so who at the company has the authority to make the decision to bring you on? It's probably not someone who has a Twitter feed. People look at my business and they they might naively think that I get lots and lots of leads off the blog or on Hacker News, but if I'm getting brought in by like a CEO level or the head of product or the head of marketing at a company, it's they're probably, um, well, a little bit older, and have, they they would tell you in so many words, I've got better things to do with my time than to stay on Hacker News. I don't, apparently. But, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I don't meet those type of people typically off Hacker News. I'll often meet them at something like... Uh, a conference that's organized for the explicit purpose of generating more sales for software companies. Which by the way, people who pay $2,000 to go for a conference whose tagline is sell more software are often interested in paying money to sell more software. So they, you know, meeting people for conversations in between the, the lectures at that sort of place is a great use of my time, i found. But yeah, uh, who still uses email newsletters? Oh, that makes... Guys, like multi-billion dollar industries are multi-billion dollar industries for a reason. Even if we perceive ourselves as providing a lot of the value through our technological skills, that's true. Like, you know, I would not have a business but for being technologically good at what I do, and not, you know, I would not have a business if I was not able to actually deliver on the things that I offer to my customers. But there's a huge sort of like business knowledge that needs to be present to also successfully run a business. And that starts with knowing the market outside of your narrow specialty. You know, if you don't already know what kind of businesses are likely to have uh, websites that drive huge amounts of their, you know, total business value, then you're not going to be successful at selling people on the um, engagements to improve their website such that their business gets more revenue. You know, you need to know, like, what the transactional model for the business looks like. One reason that, take two industries which look uh, kind of sort of similar to each other, say insurance or or uh, retail finance. Uh, thank God I don't actually have to do work with either of these, but you should understand that an insurance company might have a very, very direct path to revenue via use of their website. Like they can actually take leads on the website and start converting those into directly into transactions and or into applications for their high margin insurance products with very little work on top of that. Whereas the core business at, say, a bank might be more relationship-based where they have longer sales cycles and they're only capturing the lead generation on the website or only doing kind of low margin services like checking accounts or whatnot. So yeah. you know, if you were looking at two similarly situated business, you would go with the one that you could provide more value to. So you need to know that about the business. If you can't sketch someone's,
1: someone's business model out in a napkin, I don't think you can ever sell them anything worthwhile. It, it reminds me of something I call going from D to C. And that means going from disparagement to curiosity. Mm-hmm. And when you see a comment that says, who still uses email newsletters? Uh. That's disparagement. You're basically saying, I'm smarter than this this company. Who would ever use email newsletters? Which is ironic because this person happens to be exactly wrong. And it therefore makes them look far more foolish because they're disparaging something they simply do not understand. I would instead rather have people say, wow, these guys are using an email newsletter. They seem to be doing pretty well. I mean, they get a lot of press. They seem to have a lot of customer testimonials. What do they know that I don't? From D to C, stop the disparagement and start the curiosity. Like I said, when I started studying the dark arts of long copy, I first looked at these long copy pages, infomercials, and I said, these, are, these things are scams. Mm-hmm. And I started off with a disparagement model. But as I started getting deeper and deeper into it and learning what works, what doesn't, what is ethical and what is not, I learned that there are very, very good reasons that direct response marketers have been using long copy for over a hundred years. What do they know that I don't know? And the answer is they know a lot. They know a lot more than I could ever hope to learn and it's all encompassed in this knowledge in direct marketing. So instead of disparaging things that we don't understand, let's actually try to say, hey, for 15 minutes, I'm going to try to understand that maybe these guys know something I don't. And when you can do that, why, for example, one of the reasons I moved to New York was all my Silicon Valley friends said, oh, like, it's all about direct ROI. Those companies are so stupid that pay for ads in Times Square. And I kind of looked at them like, that's interesting because those companies have been around for 50 years. Mm -hmm. Why does Louis Vuitton have billboards that they spend $200,000 a month on or $500,000? What do they know that I don't? And as I moved here, the answer is they know a lot. They know a lot more in terms of brand and not everything is directly measurable. So it's important to be able to say, look, I may not know everything. Let me try to at least understand the basics of it. And when you do, you'll see entire worlds open up. Like for me, I saw entire worlds of pricing, monetization, long copy, uh, upsells, cross-sells, AOV. I saw all these things open up that I had never, never, never had an idea of. Mm and it was all because i first was disparaging them and then i said all right i better learn what these guys are doing and that changed everything for me
0: mm-hmm. um, i've had similar experiences myself uh, something that i often see in our industry is people have like kind of a fascination for the new so anything that smacks of the old way of doing business or that technology is so last year or uh, <laughs> that sort of thing uh, tends to turn people off just a heuristic for everybody It is entirely possible that you are the smartest person in a particular industry, but I would heavily bet against that. So if everyone in an industry does something in a particular way, like if every enterprise software company doesn't put their prices on the website, you're going, that's so stupid, I would never buy anything without the price (laughs) being on the website. consider, Consider the somewhat radical notion that every enterprise software company since ever is not simultaneously making the exact same wrong mistake and that maybe there's something about that model you don't know yet.
1: God, that is the best example ever, because I see it all the time. Oh, whenever I see a site where they don't, they don't give me the price, I just close the page. And then you say to yourself, okay, that's great. What is your budget, by the way? Oh, I don't have a budget, I'm just looking around. I could just build this on my own. Right. You're not the customer. Right. You're not the customer. How many million customer... dollars of software purchases have you authorized in the last quarter? <laughs> exactly. Like, are you kidding me? I'll, I'll give you an example of a purchase I made just th- just this week, I have been looking at some retention issues and improving some retention flows in my funnels. Mm-hmm. And I happen to be on some newsletter that I signed up for years ago, which, by the way, I read once in a while. And they happen to release a new ebook on retention. It has you know seventy five pages of charts and retentions and strategies and this and that. The email came. I read. It was a I would say about a four page email. I read the first fifteen mm, percent. Click the link looked at a couple pictures, saw a couple of keywords in the bullet points, like how XYZ company plugged their retention problems. And I sent it to my assistant. I didn't even buy it myself. I sent it to my assistant. I said, buy and add to Cal, which means add to my calendar for me to review it later. Mm -hmm. That was it. The purchase was about $199. It took me less than 15 seconds to make that purchase decision. Mm -hmm. But why? Because I was the right customer at the right time I had a burning pain point and I had the budget. So no matter what their website looked like and all that, yeah, that may have mattered a little bit. The most important thing was they understood their customer, they understood the code words and the problems I have, and it was already sold before it you know, before I even looked at it. It was already a sold thing for me.
0: Yeah, that's so uh, I'll give you an amusing anecdote about that. So there's tools I use in my own business, right? One that I use a lot for designing uh, uh, mock-ups of user experience is called Balsamic Mockups and I think their entry-level pricing is like 80 bucks or something and uh, a lot of people say, wow, 80 bucks is a lot for, you know, something that's like Microsoft Paint Plus Plus, duh um, Anyhow, so I frequently sit down with uh, consulting clients you know, looking at three pages of mock-ups that I've prepared that the, uh, the story that I'm trying to sell them on is okay if we do it like this our revenues for the next quarter are going to go up by 20% and mm-hmm. um, I got a uh, I got a question from a you know someone who is similar to me at the company techie guy young 20s etc and he said oh that looks kind of cool what'd you make it and I said oh balsamic mockups, it's this thing that uh, a company puts out, lets you mock up pages very quickly. He's like, what? You paid money for that? And the CEO says, by the way, notable and quotable, he's like, get one for everybody. Put it on the company card. You were talking about the plus 20% in revenue. And wow. you know, it's like, the, it's totally, two totally different mindsets looking at the same artifact, right? Yep. Like the, the CEO only sees it in the, this is the tool that someone I trust is doing something incredibly valuable with me at. It is cheap at any reasonable price. Whereas the person who could potentially have, you know, given the next two years of his life, have implemented that tool is valuing it at nothing because clearly he wasn't having anything planned
1: for the next two years. Yep. Cost versus value. And this is something that we'll talk more about in pricing. But Mm -hmm. if your first inclination when you look at something is how much does it cost, chances are you're not the customer. And chances are you would be a terrible customer. So when I, in fact, I did this just yesterday, Um, I did a, a webcast where I actually opened up a new course. I was testing it. And people, you know, when I start talking about the course, there will be some people on these webcasts, there's usually hundreds of people there, and they'll say, what's the price? What's the price? How much does it cost? What's the price? And I quickly tell them, if your first question is about price, this course is not for you, okay? Because if all you're concerned about is price, then you haven't even factored in the calculus of value. If my course can teach you how to negotiate a $10,000 raise, then does it even matter what it costs? Mm-hmm. It could be 100, it could be 500, it could be 5,000. If you believe in the material and there's a guarantee, then cost should be one of the last things. Now, here's the key. Certain people think like that. Businesses think in terms of value. Mm-hmm. Generally, individuals do not. Right. And so that is when you start choosing who, who are the customers I want to go after? Are they people who have no money or people who complain about money all the time or people who have you know no time to actually use this or are they people who look at a, an information product or an engineering project and say, you know what? Yeah, this might cost me $10,000, but I'm going to make back far more. Maybe I'm going to make back more money. Maybe I'm going to get peace of mind. Mm-hmm. That is value versus cost.
0: Amen. And that's, uh, that's, by the way, a good heuristic when you're looking at customers. Um, so You're going to be selling them on a relationship which is going to, uh, yeah, uh, at the end of the day, there will be an invoice delivered and that invoice is going to have a bunch of zeros in it. So you are probably not going to be the first professional relationship someone has ever had. In fact, if you are, that's kind of a bad sign because they have no idea how to work with you. They're not going to have a maximally happy result uh, no matter how well you execute on that relationship. So look at the other kind of, like how they comport their business in other ways. If someone has an accountant that they're paying $300 an hour for, they understand that an accountant is generating some sort of value for the business, that. Is worth three hundred dollars an hour, right? If someone doesn't have an accountant, and if you ask them, just curious, why don't you have an accountant? And they say something like, "heck, if I'm going to pay three hundred dollars an hour when I could do it for myself in QuickBook," that <laughs> that's like a leading indicator that this person is not going to value your time as a professional either. Right. Now, exactly. conversely, if someone says that you know they pay their accountant three hundred dollars an hour because accountants provably make the business money, but that the riff-raff techie guys are just crazy for demanding 40 bucks an hour, then also, again, leading indicator, have a nice firm handshake and uh, try to get introduced to someone else, hopefully someone a little more
1: sane, uh, but you're not going to have a con- successful commercial relationship with them. That's right. Focus on taking, you know, your B plus customers to be or prospects to be A customers. Don't focus on the D people trying to turn them into A customers. It will never happen. happen. It will never happen. And I will talk to you and Patrick will talk to you more about this. Patrick, I love how how many times in your life you use the word pathological customers Mm -hmm. online. I myself have many of those as well. And in fact, I will talk about how I turned down over one million dollars in revenue per year. To avoid the type of customers I do not want, we're going to talk about that in our next call, which will be on pricing. But for now, let's leave our URLs so people can find us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick, do you want to go ahead and start? Where should people find you? Sure. My blog is
0: at slash blog. And what can they find when they go there? I largely talk about the business of making and selling software. And if you want the specific deep dive into that, rather than whatever I happen to be thinking about at
1: any given day, that would be at training.calzumius.com. I love Patrick's blog because not only does he talk about selling software, but you know, I sell information products. I don't sell software, but I find so much relevance in what you talk about. And I love how you delve into the psychology of being able to turn your worldview around and deliver value to people and then get... And then charge accordingly. I'll, I'll share my URL as well. Uh, I actually put up a special page for anyone listening to this um, to give away some free stuff for you. It's I will teach you to be rich.com slash Calzumius dash start. That's a mouthful. One more time I will teach you to be rich.com slash KALZUMEUS dash start. Like I'm starting the race. And you're going to get some stuff there on how to find your first few clients, including a free video and a free mini course that I put together for you. So take a look. I hope you guys enjoy it. And we will talk to you on the next call.
0: All right. Let me give just a quick mini testimonial for me. We met for the first time uh, a couple of years ago in New York and had dinner together. And some of the advice that he's given that he gave me at that dinner really, it took me off of one trajectory that I was on with my consulting business and put me on a much better trajectory. Um, I've always known him to say really really valuable things when I've talked to other engineers about uh, some of the advice in like salary negotiation that he's given me. I have a stack of emails in Gmail like I think it's somewhere 20 something and the running total is 200 and x thousand dollars of extra money that that's made my readers. So I just really trust this guy. He, there is no BS here. You can't
1: possibly waste your time on it. Appreciate that. All right, Patrick, we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks.